the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3 on your drive home. It is great to bring back, as we do most Mondays, Brandon Weikert. He is the senior editor uh, senior editor at uh, 1945.com, 1945.com. He is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. We do foreign and domestic policy with Brandon most weeks. How you doing, brother? I am good. I just made the family uh, some German bratwurst for dinner, and um, now I'm chatting with you, so it's all good, my friend. This show has a lot of food elements to it. Um, We do a a (laughs) review on Thursdays with a dear friend and regular guest political consultant here named Sam Stone. Um, You're doing German bratwurst. Uh, Do you boil them in beer? Do you put them on the grill? How How do you do those things, Brandon? These came already in the beer batter. Okay. And so I just added them on the grill, sauteed some um, peppers and um, put some pickles on it and some mustard. And um, I wanted to do cabbage, uh, not cabbage, a sauerkraut, but the kids didn't want that. So we didn't do it with sauerkraut this time. How do they come in beer batter? Did you order them from a mail delivery situation? No, actually, it was German week at Aldi of all places. And Uh they had all these really cool specialty Things. I know people think of Aldi, they don't think of, you know, good stuff like that, but they've got some really niche things that I like. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speaking of someone who's not eating and doesn't eat that, but it sounds lovely, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> the kids like it. Yeah. Good. Good. What kind of bun? Uh, it's like a, um, like a brioche oh, okay. type of bun. Um, Hoagie. You know, hot, not a hot dog. It's Hoagie like style. Hoagie. Yes. yes. Thank you. Okay. Do you need me to come over there and, and make sense of all this for you? Do I need to come over and cook for your kids? Yeah, well, you might have to come over and try it sometime <laughs> uh, when you're in Southwest Florida. Okay. All you right. know, it's a balmy 87 degrees this fall. We're doing okay here. We're doing okay. But, uh, Brandon, thank you for being with us. A lot to do today. First of all, let's do a little politics. Uh, first of all, I know everyone's talking about the Bob Menendez uh, story. And it seems like a big one. I don't know why you maybe need to put your psychologist's hat on. I don't know why I'm not getting that excited over it for some reason or another. It's just not moving me a lot. I mean, it's obviously awful. It's obviously big. But for some reason, it seems to me like it's not the thing that uh, Republicans should be making the main corruption story right now. It seems like it's, well, to use the parlance of our conversation— Small beer compared to what Republicans should be focusing on with the real corruption <laughs> right, right. in Washington. In the parlance of our time. Yes, in the parlance of small, our time. Small. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it's a distraction, and the Republicans are dutifully falling for the Democrats' distraction. Um, you know, the, the Democrats knew about Bob Men- Menendez's issues going back to 2011 We and all did. I thought, yes, it's almost like I right, read this but, story before, it right. seems like. Right, but my point is is that the Obama administration wanted to keep Menendez 
Is it Mendez? I mean, is it Mendez? It's or Menendez. Menendez. Yeah, I mean, there's two ends. Yeah, Menendez. Menendez. Yeah, right, right, right. So I wanted to keep Menendez in position that he was because they had dirt on him uh-huh. and they leveraged him. Uh-huh. He was opposed originally to the Iran. I remember that deal well. In yes, I remember. He was opposed yeah. to yeah. the Obama administration's deal with Cuba. Yep. And so the suddenly these leaks started happening about all these problems with Menendez and his his corruption and going to visit underage prostitutes in Puerto Rico, a la Jeffrey Epstein. And so, uh, you know, suddenly all it was the drip, 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 drip of controversy. And suddenly that got Menendez in line real fast. Um, and now, of course, they are using their leverage on Menendez to get him to take the fall for this because they've got to distract the world yeah. from the reality of Hunter Biden. That's, that's because the, the Republican impeachment into Hunter Bi- or into Joe Biden because of Hunter's uh, alleged corruption, uh, that is going to be the thing that that ends the Biden campaign. And so they have to do anything they can, the Democrats do, to stop and distract and minimize the Hunter Biden scandal. You know, I have to say, and it's not good, uh, but I have to say, because it's not a defense, that I remember Menendez being like one of the few Democrats whose foreign policy I kind of could tolerate you know, he seemed right. to have some common sense about these things. So much more the shame, I suppose, exactly. huh? Exactly. And that's why they're getting rid of him also. Yeah. Because he's actually kind of sane on foreign policy. Yeah. And, of course, the Democrats right now are on a hard left turn. Yeah. And so they gotta, they got to shed some of that, that normal, uh, you know, men- mentality of, hey, we don't want to do deals with the crazy mullahs in Iran. Yeah. They want to get rid of him for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings me to my next question question. Um, When you talk about the investigation into Biden corruption and you say ends the Biden campaign, the other thing everyone's talking about today seems like is this new ABC Washington Post poll that uh, that is so bad for Biden. And, you know, weirdly, (laughs) weirdly, who saw the Washington Post ABC poll coming out? uh, So very good for Donald Trump. And I, I, right. I just the speculation uh, amongst we who have no ends with this White House must be that the conversations in and around the White House and the Joe Biden reelection committee must be something like we really have to rethink this strategy of running Joe Biden. We really have to rethink this. Yeah, they probably are. And I know they are having that conversation because I saw I talked to a few former colleagues of mine on the Hill who are now working for the, the DNC. Um, and they are definitely having this conversation. And unfortunately um, for them, they're stuck with Biden. They can't get rid of him because if they do, it's going to be endless stories about chaos in the Democratic Party. Um, and if they don't get rid of him, obviously, not only does he have this Hunter Biden thing he's got to worry about, but he now has this this fact that he's not doing well in the polls. And the perception is that he's a too old to run for reelection among American people and b that the economy is doing very badly. Um, and so it naturally is redounding to the, the, the top Republican candidate who right now in the polls is Donald Trump. But. You know, I would be very careful if I were Republicans because, you know, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Republicans, including Trump, made a career out of saying the polls are rigged, the polls are false. Um, And now suddenly the same people who spent decades and years saying this on the Republican side are now, of course, accepting these polls at face value. 
Um, I don't I don't really trust any of these polls, especially this early out. We've got 16 months before actual voting begins in the general election. We've got three and a half to four months before, actually closer to five months, before the first votes are cast in the Iowa primary for the Republican Party primary. So these polls, you know, they're, they're interesting to talk about, but I'm very skeptical about relying on them for any accurate information. Because remember, the polls were completely wrong in 2016 that had Trump losing in a landslide. And he proved them all wrong. And so I would just be very careful with relying on any of these polls too heavily. Well, I wonder, you know, if if people know the phrase push-pull a little bit, but I'm wondering if, given what you're saying, if there's some reading between the lines going on here that maybe, you know, the people that commission these things in, in league with Washington Post and ABC are pushing this poll a little bit, and it's a bit of a push-pull to push Joe Biden out because they are so nervous about his chances at re-election. I mean, it's not just the age issue. It is obviously the economy. It's obviously that he's not getting better. I mean, last week was just one miserable week for the man. Reading note cards like that to foreign dignitaries, ignoring the president of Brazil on stage, confusing the Hispanic caucus with the black caucus. The racial comments about Yes, yes, yes. It's only going to get worse. This doesn't get better. No, because his cognitive decline relates right. to age. Right. He's a very old man. Of course, you know, th- that is the biggest attack we have on him is his age. And I realize Trump is more dynamic, but he's only four years behind well, Biden. I, yeah, I don't know if it's age, you know though. I mean? It's it's not just age. I know 80 and 85 and 90-year-olds, yeah. not many, but I know plenty that, you know, move and think and talk much. It's There's something other than age going on here. Yeah. It's... It is a very weird thing for them to be running this man. Remember, he said in 2020, I'm a transition candidate. Well, for whatever reason, and I think this has to do with Obama, who's pulling the strings behind the scenes, for whatever reason, Biden continues to be their guy, even though he's clearly very, very compromised in more ways than one. You would think they would sit down as a party and say, we cannot run this man again. But, of course, the runner-up would be Kamala Harris, and she's just as bad. Well, there's this interesting thing we'll pick up on the other side of the break that uh, Ron DeSantis has now agreed to debate, or Gavin Newsom has now agreed to debate Ron DeSantis. An odd thing. Let's pick up on that when we come right back. Brandon and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest. He is the uh, senior editor at 1945.com, 1945.com, and author of several books, also active on Twitter, very active, or X, or what we call Twix around here, at We the Brandon. That's his handle, We the Brandon. You like that, Twix? Is that a good name for I it? I love it. I love it. I, I, I used it last week after you said that. I, 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 it, it makes its own perfect sense. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of debate, there'll be a debate this Wednesday amongst uh, some mm-hmm. of the leading Republican candidates for president, some. And then there's this interesting announcement that in November there's going to be a debate, I guess, on Fox News between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. And um, it's more interesting to me that Newsom is doing it than DeSantis is doing it. Uh, I understand more easily why DeSantis is doing it. 
Uh, but the idea that Newsom is putting himself out there, he's putting him out there, himself out there a lot. He vetoed an interesting piece of legislation over the weekend that many thought he would sign having to do with uh, uh, child custody cases and uh, children who are going through yeah. some form of transition. Kind of a kick in the in the teeth of his left wing base. Almost almost one wants to read that as trying to moderate a little bit. The idea that that's what makes you moderate, I guess, is what it goes is the way it goes in California. But Newsom is standing there, ready for the picking, Brandon. Yeah, you know it's. And the more he denies it, the more I feel like he's really going to do it. I know. Um, So yeah, something to consider. Also, it's not just that bill he he vetoed a month ago. He reversed course and basically negated his uh, his green energy yeah. uh, agenda right. by keeping all of those natural gas-producing uh, facilities open and begging them to produce even more natural gas in California because the rolling blackout issue is so bad right That's now. Right. That's right. Um, and that was a lot of environmentalists were losing their minds. At, at, but, it, you know, of course, when you put yourself in his position – they're in his shoes. It makes sense. This is what he has to do because he's if, even if he's not running now, he is probably gearing up for four years from now, and uh, he's just he's trying to keep himself relevant. Um, the thing about DeSantis that you know, you know, I I am a DeSantis guy. Um, I, I just for me, if Trump weren't in this race, DeSantis would be thirty points ahead right now of where he is. Some of the Keebler elves weren't in this race, DeSantis would definitely be neck and neck with Trump. Um, but these these clowns like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence, they're staying involved. Um, and so DeSantis has to do something to keep to differentiate himself from Trump, who refuses to debate anyone, which I think is a really bad move. Um, and he's got to still stay relevant. And so this is for DeSantis a really good move because it's keeping him separate from the rest of the pack on the right. And then it's also allowing for him to really test to see if he's going to be able to withstand uh, a real Democrat challenger, because whether he's, he's the candidate or the nominee now, the scuttlebutt is, no matter what, he'll be running again in four years. So whether it's now or in four years, he also needs to kind of determine if he's really able to withstand uh, a, an opponent like Newsom, especially because, and I say this as a DeSantis supporter, DeSantis's weakness is in these sort of debate live situations. The first time he ran for governor, he didn't do so well in the debates against um, Gillum. He did better the second time around against Chris. Um, but, you know, these, his public sort of uh, interaction is a weak spot. So he needs to really work on that and get as much practice as he can. And I think that Fox News debate with Newsom would be a great way to do that. You know, what is your, what is it? Uh... What is the speculation and what is it your radar is picking up a little bit on the position DeSantis is in right now? Because he is clearly um, in second place. Uh, he clearly would be higher without Donald Trump, I think. That's he fair would be to the say. leader without Donald Trump. Yeah, I think that's period. fair to say. But he's not really much able to break out no matter what much higher than, you know, a 14 or 15 point uh, lead against uh, the rest of the crowd or Trump. And I just wonder if the radar I'm trying to pick up from you is, 
does he have a long path here to keep in this position? Does he have these debates left in him to keep going? Is his funding base going to keep supporting this guy about yeah. how great he was supposed to be and it's just not showing yeah. itself? The higher you are, the farther you fall kind of thing, like Scott Walker? Well, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think I think that no votes have been cast. And so if you remember... Everything they're saying about Ron DeSantis right now was exactly what they were saying about Donald Trump in 2016 at this point. And Donald Trump, whenever he didn't like a a poll and whenever he was listed as being lower ranked than what he thought he should be, it was fake news and a fake poll. And so what I have told the DeSantis people, whether they take my advice or not, is to take a page from Trump's playbook. Ignore all of these polls. Ignore all of these conversations in the media. That's just background noise. The fact of the matter is DeSantis is on the ground. He's got the best ground game in Iowa of any of those candidates, including Trump, who's decided now to start campaigning a little bit late, buddy. Um, And so I think that DeSantis is going to win Iowa. I think he's doing the the in the face, in your face, uh, you know, classic, uh, you know, uh, grip and grin politics. Um, He's not doing this big national thing in Iowa. He's not. He's in your face going to every county, every voting precinct, and meeting as many voters as he can in person. And that means a lot in Iowa. Iowa's not like those other primary states. I've worked Iowa before, so I know. And so DeSantis is making the right moves. In terms of the money, he had so much of a war chest saved up even before he announced that he's doing fine. Now, he says he needs more money to get through, and I understand that, but he's doing fine. It's Trump who needs to worry because Trump is he's such a weak candidate this time because he's got to deal with all of these legal issues. The Biden campaign or the Biden administration has thrown at him. Most of Trump's money is going into these lawsuits and these legal issues. They're not going into his campaign. So DeSantis has an advantage there as well because he can focus on a campaign. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So while, yeah, you know, Trump has created this narrative that DeSantis is a rhino globalist. That couldn't be farther okay, from the Okay, so that, that, that's obviously just, yeah, obviously not true. But, you know, I do have to say, well, I'll put it this way, but 34 points. I mean, it's not that is, that's, it, this, it, this it's isn't 10 points. No vote's been cast. Okay. I would happily, I'll, I'll happily say that you're right when I see okay. the outcome of the first primary vote. Okay. I don't want right. to, I, I don't, I could care less about what these polls say. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I wanted. And I was saying this, by the way. I said this when Trump ran in 2016. I was the one telling everybody the polls don't matter. He's going to win until I see the first votes cast in these primaries and the count and they're counted. That's when I'll start saying, "Okay, DeSantis is in trouble." Fair but enough. Yeah, yeah. Trouble. No, I mean, I think you're looking at some at the data that probably the right way. I'm looking at different data, and it's the kind of thing that told me Donald Trump was going to win, which was in 2016, which was. Just the feedback you got from so many people in the base, even sure. when you pointed out, even when you pointed out all the foibles, all the problems, all the ahistoric yeah. impossibilities. Yeah, they still liked him, and I still hear. Let me take a quick commercial break, okay? Yeah. We'll be yeah. Thank you, we'll, yeah. uh, Brandon Weikert, and I'll be right back. One nine forty five dot com on Twitter or Twix or X at we the Brandon. He and I'll be right back. Brandon Weikert is my guest, author of several books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War on Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control 
life. By the way, Brandon, on, on Iran, um, th- that was a big story last week. It's kind of a sign of the times. No one's thinking about Iran today. It was only less than a week ago that all this news came out. And, of course, Raisi's speech at the U.N. and the protests. Right. It's so hard to keep people's attention on this stuff. It is so impossibly difficult. I, I, yeah. This, I've been bewailing this for weeks now. It's almost as if months, years. I, it's almost as if no news cycle matters anymore. It just—it's an odd, odd thing. It's an odd time we're living in. Well, and I think part of that's also because people are tired of the Middle East, and I understand that. But, but as I, you know, I wrote in the Shadow War, um, the Iran is the stalking horse crisis that we have ignored for far too long, and they are now starting to break out. Um, you know, this whole war in Armenia and Azerbaijan. I don't know if you saw this morning, the head of the Iranian military, uh, they deployed hundreds of thousands of troops to their border because this war. And so now you have conflicts popping up involving Iran. Uh, Last week, Brett Baer interviewed uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who explicitly said that if the Biden administration follows through on their plans to do a nuclear deal or to resuscitate the nuclear deal that Obama made, with uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia will absolutely seek out nuclear weapons of its own. They've already been given uh, long-range ballistic missile technology by China, as has Iran. China, for the last three years, has played the middleman, standing between Iran and Saudi Arabia, feeding them weapons, trying to keep both sides armed so they can benefit in the middle. Uh, China can. And so Saudi Arabia already has now long-range missiles. And I say this because Saudi Arabia's leadership under MBS, I think, is an acceptable leadership that we can work with. But the problem is the rest of the populace in Saudi Arabia are hardline Islamists, or at least there's a very large Islamist element in Iran, in Saudi Arabia. So God help us if Saudi Arabia feels the need to get nukes and then MBS is overthrown and he's replaced with a hardline Islamist. Now you're looking at a nuclear-armed Saudi Arabia run by an Islamist and an Islamist Iran that's nuclear-armed and backed by Russia and China. This is not a good position to be in, and it only is the United States that can step in and stop this and balance the equation by building an alliance with the Saudis and the Sunni Arab states, matching them up with Israel, and then containing Iran at like a small scale of what we did to the Soviet Union in the Cold War. I don't believe this administration has that ability or that desire to do that. And that is why I have written that book, The Shadow War, because I think that is going to be the real source of World War III, is a nuclear-armed Iran running roughshod over the region. You know, I, you're right about this administration. It was true of the previous one, which kind of broke the, broke the alliances. Um, not uh, Trump, I'm sorry, the Barack Obama oh, administration. Wow. Right. right. They broke that alliance. Trump put it together maybe stronger than it was before, pra- pra- uh, for all intents and purposes. What, and you say this administration. I got to tell you, it's something weird about the Democratic Party. What is their yeah. fascination with—fascination is the wrong word. What is their fetish— with believing yeah. that Iran is a moderate country we can do business with. What is it about well, that so party? I, Menendez, you know, frankly, was right. the only one who called baloney on that. You're right. And you know I have – there's like a third of the shadow wars yeah. dedicated yeah. to understanding the uh, why the Democrats, going back to Carter, look at 
the Islamists in Iran, and not just the Islamists in Iran, but but we saw this during the Arab Spring, which Correct. was really an Islamist winter. Correct. Uh, you know, it was Obama and the Democrats seeking out Islamist groups, whether it be the Muhammad, the Muslim Brotherhood, or Al Nusra, or even ISIS, seeking these groups out to do business with them because there is this belief on the part of Democrats, going back to Jimmy Carter, that the Islamists somehow represent the majority opinion of the region, and therefore an Islamist government, an Islamic democracy, as, as they believe it would happen, an Islamic democracy would be more legitimate and more stable and more better, I'm sorry, and better off for American interests uh, in the long run than any other kind of uh, secular autocracy that we have supported in that region going back to 1945. It is a very dangerous assumption. It has, in my opinion, been proven wrong repeatedly. Right. And yet there's the, the Democrats with their arms now across four Democratic Party administrations yeah. Yeah. wrapped around this idea that we can do business with the Islamists and they're really going to be our friend. Well, they won't be. They contradict us every time, too. Every time we do it, every time we put our hand out, they slap it down. Yeah. They did it with the $6 billion when we, Antony Blinken was saying this is going to be used exclusively for humanitarian purposes. We didn't even need to get to the fungibility argument before Raisi was out brooding around the fact that he said that fact, brooding around his statement that we'll use the money the way we see fit. Thank you very much. Brandon and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Take the topic of another one of your books, Brandon, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Um, I guess it's whack-a-mole. One week we're going to be talking Iran. One week we'll be talking Ukraine. One week we'll be talking uh, China. Um, And the fact of the matter is, truly, when we're talking about any of these countries, we're talking about all of these countries, aren't we? Yes. Increasingly so. Um, and we, you and I talked about this a couple times, but um, this is actually the Naval War College is, is interested in doing a project with me, maybe um, related to this. But basically, we are presiding over the uh, collapse of traditional U.S. foreign policy, which was a grand strategy, which was always predicated on this notion that no matter what, we do not want to see a great power arise on your, in the Eurasian heartland that would dominate it or a set of Eurasian powers arise to dominate that, that territory, Europe and Asia and everything in between, um, because that would be a significant great threat to the United States. We're a continent-spanning power. Very few countries out there can challenge us just because of the sheer amount of resources and territory we control. But a Eurasian heartland that is dominated by a coalition of powers that are against the United States, that is a nightmare. And what's happening is China and Russia, Iran, uh, and, and a coterie of other Eurasian powers are being absorbed into this new autocratic anti-American alliance, and it's getting closer and stronger every day. And largely this has come because of feckless, U.S. foreign policy, where we insisted that Russia is our threat, is our great rival after the Cold War, which is what it should not have been, and we empowered China with good trade deals and uh, giving them access to our advanced technology for 50 years while they raided us economically uh, and took our industrial might. And so now we have a really nightmare scenario, and it's getting worse. Well, 
let me ask you this. There's this interesting story uh, you, 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 you twixed about or retwixed and, <laughs> and discussed about China needing three carrier battle groups. And you made this yeah. very fascinating point. Something tells me this might be the most fascinating thing on Twix today. You wrote, uh, <laughs> uh, those carriers are going to be sunk quickly. I actually think the carriers are the weakest point in China's offensive capabilities. Yeah. What is the? What are the stronger points? Yeah. Yeah, so I've written a, a five-part series that's still being published at 1945 on China's threat and their military threat and, and the, the likelihood Taiwan's going to be hit, which I think is very soon, very soon going to happen. Um we, I basically did like a, a bird's eye view of China's military threat right. as it stands. And the carrier groups are actually the weakest threat because unless they can totally knock out all of our command and control functions, unless they completely stymie our ability to project power um, across the Pacific Ocean, which they're going to do a good job of, but they're not going to be able to do it totally. So we'll probably still have submarine capability. Those carriers are going to be big, beautiful targets for our subs to take right, out, right. and they will do that. And so those carriers are probably the weakest point. Now, um, the strongest point, in my opinion, are China's land-based anti-ship, anti-aircraft, and um, uh, uh, surface-to-surface long-range missiles. Those are the things that give me heartburn when I think about a potential conflict with China over Taiwan. Because those are the elements that are going to immediately hit our pre-positioned forces in Guam and elsewhere in the region. Those are the the missiles that are going to be used to take out um, important infrastructure in Taiwan. Those are the missiles that are going to be used, like the Dongfeng 21D, the carrier killer. Those are going to be the missiles that they use, if not to sink U.S. carriers, then to threaten them so much that we're too afraid to deploy these very expensive uh, aircraft carriers of ours, which could be a huge difference maker in any opening phase of a conflict with China over Taiwan. Those are the things that are really the scary parts of China's uh, capabilities against us. Then there's also the ability of China, and I write about this extensively in Winning Space, there's the, there's the capability that China has to knock out our satellites. There's China's uh, nuclear weapons arsenal that we still don't have a good read on. There is uh, China's ability to disrupt the electromagnetic spectrum, and then there's also China's cyber war capabilities. So those five or six things that I listed, those are the things that are the strongest points of China's military threat to us. Their weakest points remain their naval, their maritime capability. Not that they're incompetent, far from it, but in terms particularly of their aircraft carriers, those are the weakest points that we can really exploit and do some damage. Their submarine force is also scary, as is their ability to convert civilian roll-on, roll-off, row-row uh, ferries into overnight amphibious landers. We have a real misconception in this country, our intelligence agencies do. We say they don't have enough amphibious craft to do a D-Day-style landing on Taiwan. Well, that's true. Their military, their Navy doesn't have enough of those, and they won't for several years. But since 2012... China's government has ordered civilian carriers that do these vehicle uh, ferries to build them to military specifications. That means that they're planning to use them in a sudden surprise attack on Taiwan to augment the military amphibious landers, and that's a problem. 
Brandon, you outlined the sketches of what is a very, very, very extremely serious military country. We have 20 seconds left. How serious are we in comparison? Not at all. And I would anticipate there is a real window that end of October they could decide to hit Taiwan. Interesting. Brandon. Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, we didn't end on a high note, but you know what? The times Happy are not. <laughs> the time... <laughs> the... We end on clarity, not uh, optimism. We'll meet again. <laughs> we'll meet again, at least hopefully next week. Bless you, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Brandon Weikert, he is the author of several books, all wonderful and important. Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked. China's Race to Control Life. You can read them on Twix at We the Brandon and at 1945.com, 1945.com. I'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They are good friends. They are good friends to the community as well. They are based here locally on 101 on the Scottsdale Road. Feel free to stop by and visit them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They won't ask you to sign a thing. They just like talking about what it is that they do, and they leave the selling up to me. What is it that they do? They offer up an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. And if you're concerned about stock market volatility or the possible recession or inflation, their investment is not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. No surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No loss or penalty, no loss of principal or penalty if you need your money back at any time, and there are no fees. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and as I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. This just came to me, and... um, It's probably going to be something we'll thumb through and plumb through tomorrow. Interesting polling uh, coming out of uh, not the Washington Post uh, ABC poll we were discussing earlier, but Gallup, the Gallup polling organization, on changes in religious um, identification by the major parties in America. You've often heard Joe Biden say, that this Republican Party is not your father's or grandfather's Republican Party. Add that to the list of lies he tells whenever he opens his mouth or his lips, whether he is uh, whispering or whether he's screaming. Most everything needs independent verification, even if he told you it was raining outside. It is the same Republican Party uh, that it's always been with its different emphases on different parts of that party. Democrats, not so much. And if you wonder why someone like Governor uh, Sanders had to, uh, in Arkansas, say that this is no longer a fight between right and left, but normal and crazy. When you think about the fights having to go, having to do with our schools, and books, and the culture, listen to this. Listen to this. While Republicans, uh, the percentage of Republicans uh, in 1999 uh, described themselves as religious was 62 percent. It's the same number today. From 1999 to now, same 62%. Democrats in 1999, about the same as Republicans back then, 60% of Democrats described themselves as religious, according to Gallup. Guess what today do? 37%. 37%. More than a 20-point 
difference, decline in self-describing themselves as religious. It is a different party. It's a different country as a result. Maybe we'll pick up on that tomorrow. David, thank you for everything today. Uh, For David, for myself, and to you all, Mr. Bill, thank you as well. God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.